Hello and welcome to the Commander's Quarters. I'm your host, Mitch. Glad to have you here. Cyclonic Rift, one of the most powerful cards in Commander, according to many. Many people also think it deserves to be in every single deck that it can be in, but is that really true? Here to talk with me about that and some other things on the show today is Alex. Say hi, Alec. Hey, everyone. That wasn't hi. That was hey, everyone. Oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> script. Right in. <laughs> Anyways, Alec and I are going to be talking. Sorry to throw you off. Alec and I are going to be talking about good stuff today on the show. But before we get into that, just a couple of quick notes. So liking, sharing, and subscribing always help this channel. Uh, again, thank you to everyone. We just crossed a couple couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago. I don't know when this is coming out. Sorry. <laughs> 100,000 subscribers, which is absolutely outstanding. And I cannot tell you how excited I am. So again, like, share, and subscribe always helps the channel. Um, make sure you're following us on Twitter as well at EDH Quarters. It just gives you some quick sneak peeks and know maybe what is kind of going on behind the scenes or some future episodes as well. Uh, the TCG Player Affiliate link really helps as well. Uh, the general one is bit.ly slash commanders quarters. If you're on a deck tech though, also any of those deck tech, um, any of those deck list links as well work just, but if you want to be sure that you're, you know, making, using that affiliate link, then yes, use the general bit.ly slash commanders quarters. Again, if you're already buying those decks and cards, it just helps support the show in any kind of a small way. And it's, it really helps out. Um, play mats and merchandise. So TheCommandersQuarters.com is a place you can go for all of our playmats and merchandise. Uh, but actually, I think by the time that this episode comes out, the Kickstarter campaign is going to have launched. And let's see if I can edit this incorrectly where I've got, you know, I'm showing this at the same time. But here is the new playmat, uh, courtesy of Santiago Rosas. Uh, it is called the Porcine Stand, and it is fantastic. So I'll probably throw an image up on the screen uh, as well. But I just, I'm very excited about it. Again, it's only going to be available for 30 days uh, on that Kickstarter campaign. Again, I don't know exactly what day this episode's coming out, so it'd probably be less than 30 days at this point. But again, check it out. Uh, I'm going to definitely have that link in the description for you as well. Uh, and then finally, uh, Patreon. I cannot thank my patrons enough. I would not be anywhere near here today uh, without them. There's a lot of different rewards and a lot of different tiers. So go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash commandersquarters. Okay, now that that's all out of the way, Alec, let's just talk about you. Sure. So, Alec, can, I know your background in magic, but can you tell everyone else your background in magic? Sure, yeah. So, I started uh, in magic in 7th edition. Uh, Dad bought me one of those intro decks. I think it was the Thorn Elemental with that weird computer program. I love Thorn Elemental. Um, so, started really getting to magic um, and played throughout like high school, middle school, etc. Mm. Um, but I didn't really start uh, really playing magic until college. Gotcha. I, uh, I met a really great community up in the Fargo and Moorhead area, and they taught me how to play properly. Um, and to have a good time doing so, mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, I was hooked, uh, as soon as I, uh, start playing with them. Um, and then I played standard for, uh, quite a few years, mm -hmm. um, but then eventually transitioned in commander and been doing that ever since. Um, so yeah, it's been amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I, um, if you haven't seen the, uh, the Kaidel and Ravos deck, I believe Kaidel and Ravos, yep. that was actually Alex's uh, deck list uh, that I featured on the channel a little while back. So go ahead and check that one out. But he is a very synergistic deck builder, and I am just always astounded by some of the turns that he pulls off. <laughs> it is kind of fun to watch sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're on the winning end of it. Uh, uh, yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get on to our main topic today, though, which I'm just going to call the good stuff debate. So we'll get to Cyclonic Rift in a bit. 
But there are many cards in general that people consider to be auto-includes or quote-unquote good stuff. And today we're going to go over 10 cards in total, 5 each, that we consider to be good stuff for a variety of reasons. So, Alec, I'm going to let you handle the definition for this one. What exactly do you consider to be good stuff? What is your definition of good stuff? Yeah, so for those maybe not super familiar, um, to me, good stuff is um, uh, the card selections that you make when deck building. Um, they tend to be cards that are extremely powerful in the commander format, mm. so much so that they're almost like functionally unique cards. Gotcha. There's not many that like tend to match them on the same power level. Mm. Um, so oftentimes they're selected purely because of this power, the impact that they have on the game. Gotcha. Um, and um, the reason why we're having kind of this discussion is sometimes they pop up in decks where they seem like not to really fit with the rest of the deck's yep. strategy or synergy um and so sometimes like you have questions about like well why do you play this particular card when yep. it doesn't really fit with what you're trying to do and it's just purely because well this i can win the game off the back of this card sure and sometimes kind of on edh rec like you might see oh this card is played 66 percent in in all of these kind of decks for this commander yep. therefore i have to include it because everyone else is doing that and so it's kind of like that kind of fallacy where everyone is it's kind of like a um, it's a snowball effect, I guess, where like, you know, if one person puts in their deck, then another does, and another does, and it just keeps going, 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 regardless of people actually kind of think about it and say, does this actually belong in the deck? They still might do it just because everyone else is doing it and it's a good card, but does it really fit in this deck? It's almost like peer pressure. <laughs> like EDH rec is peer pressuring. You. Everyone plays this and so must you. I'm just kidding. I love EDH rec. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So now that we've gotten the uh, good stuff discussion kind of going with the definition, let's get into the cards. Alec, what is your first card that you want to bring up as a good stuff card? Sure. Um, so this one um, is Crater Hoof Behemoth, which happens to be a green creature, costs five and triple green. Uh, it's a beast. Uh, it's five, five with haste. Uh, the Ability is when Craterhoof Behemoth enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain trample and get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. Mm -hmm. So I put this deck uh, card on the um, list because it's often just like one of those win the game now cards. Sure. Uh, provide you have enough creatures on board. Mm -hmm. um, because it's a creature also, it's super tutorable. Um, so I feel like one of the most common synergies I see with this um, is you cast Tooth and Nail and yep. you find this and Avenger of Zendikar. Yep. Stack the trigger so that way Crater Hoof bumps, uh, buffs the whole team um, really high um, with the creature tokens built off the avenger of zendikar yep and then a lot of times you just swing in and win with everything sure yeah um i've definitely lost a crater hoof before uh <laughs> yeah more than just a few times yes um but the reason why i consider it a good stuff is it, it i feel like sometimes it's just a boring way to win the game sure um because of the sheer power of this card and its converted mana cost it can just seem like strictly like this is the one card that i will use to win the game sure but so when you play someone's deck that has this in it, um, I've seen a lot where that's just like the only win condition it feels sure. like that they want to find in order to win the game. And so when you get uh, when you get killed by the same effect over and over and over again, mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, can we have the deck do anything else? Something different. Yeah, or, yeah. Is, or is this just the basic sure. synergy? Sure, very good card, deserves to be in a lot of decks, but maybe it's a bit overplayed just because 
kill me in a different way, please. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, like, not to say that this isn't a good strategy. No, But there's not. just other ways that we could foresee winning the game. And sure. Other cards that may have, like, a different synergy with a different type of attack. Okay, sure. So what are some of those cards then? Yeah. So um, a couple options I have. The first one being Strength of the Pack, mm -hmm. which is a green sorcery, uh, four colorless and double green. And it says uh, simply put two plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. Okay. So this card, while not immediate, as immediately impactful as Crater of Behemoth, this mm -hmm. spell puts the counters on your creatures immediately, and it can have a longer impact on the game. Sure. It's not one of those where like Crater of hits, and then you have to win the game. You either turn. win or you don't win. Yeah. Right. If someone has a fog effect, then you're just out all of that extra power that you just got. Right. And oftentimes you're um, completely tapped out, so someone else can swing in for the win sure. um, after your turn. Um, so this this spell um, not only then puts the plus one plus one counters on your creatures for a while. Um, it also synergizes really super well with um, other plus one plus one effects. Sure. Um, so like creatures with graft mm -hmm. or um, cards like Vorath or Shapestealer, Inspiring yep. Call or Bioshift. Sure. So it yeah. gives you like some additional flexibility gotcha. with what you're using. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of plus one plus one counters decks out there that I'm sure also use Crater Hoof, but, you know, they could be considering something like this too. For sure, yeah. Uh, the other card I want to point out is uh, Thunderfoot Baloth, mm -hmm. uh, which is another green card, um, green creature, uh, four and double green. Uh, it's also a beast, five, five, and has trample. Um, the ability on this card, though, is Lieutenant. So as long as you control your commander, Thunderfoot Baloth gets plus two, plus two, and other creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and have trample. Mm -hmm. So similar concept, again, not as not as immediately impactful as Crater Hoof Behemoth, but um, keeps that uh, um, benefit or buff along around much longer. Sure, as long as your commander's in play, your entire team gets bigger and gets that trample as well. Yeah, yeah. The trample, um, this being a little, little bit more of a relevant uh, thing, I play an Animar deck that cares more about just like having a mass of creatures. Sure. Um, but, you know, having this buff stick around for a while, you know, keeps the deck a little bit more defensive at times mm -hmm. and you know it gives animar the trample which that's really all you need sometimes yeah. to win so um this is a good all-around card for absolutely well and, and the mana difference i mean is i mean six to eight mana that is a significant jump i would say yeah. eight mana is really high up on the curve six mana is pretty reasonable right so obviously green has no problem with ramping getting it out but you might be able to get this out earlier and make an earlier impact than sure. potentially crater of behemoth yeah, for sure. And then an even cheaper card, uh, mana cost-wise, um, is Return of the Wild Speaker. Mm, I love that one. Which is a four and a green, and it's an instant. Um, so it says, choose one, draw cards equal to the greatest power among non-human creatures you control, or non-human creatures you control get plus three, plus three until end of turn. So uh, once again, not as impactful as Crater Hoof as soon as you play it, yep. but um, it does allow that tactical flexibility to either um, buff your team and yep. potentially swing out to win, yep. uh, or just like be a nice combat trick um, yep. to be able to you know surprise your opponent. Um, or you can also draw those cards. Draw a off ton of, of cards. Yeah. So um, you know whether or not you can win the game or not, this gives you that option to be like, well, maybe this isn't the greatest time to try to swing in. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'm just going to draw a bunch of cards and maybe get there next turn yep i mean it's a rishkar's expertise essentially without the casting something for free but at instant speed you do have to remember that this does not affect your humans but right how many green humans are running i mean there's plenty of green humans but i mean but that have this particular yeah. strategy not always exactly yeah so for sure okay okay yeah i definitely agree i think Krayhoof is a great card it is a very good stuff card you see in a ton of decks uh and yeah there's definitely other ways that you could win outside of it so yeah start exploring sure. some of those yeah all right which one do you got 
Oh, okay. This is going to probably upset some people. Uh, <laughs> all right. So my first good stuff card that I think is actually this one's overplayed is Solemn Simulacrum. The saddest uh, boy. A, yeah. AKA sad robot. So Solemn Simulacrum is a, well, let's just read it real quick. For those of you who don't know, it's a two, two golem that costs four. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, put that card onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. And when it dies, you may draw a card. So it ramps you by land, and when it dies, it replaces itself with drawing a card. Not too bad, but it is it does cost four mana. So the reason this sees so much play is because land ramp is very powerful. That's why green has a clear advantage when it comes to ramp, because green has all the land ramp spells. Not all of them, but essentially all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of other colors try to play this and say, like, look, I can do it too. Yes and no, you're not doing it nearly as efficiently or as well. Yes, you can draw a card when it dies, but that's not worth it, in my opinion. It's just not it. It's not worth the four mana to get one land and then eventually draw a card. Right. It's too costly for what it does, and at that point, you're just better off playing other cards, mana rocks, any anything else that is just more efficient and helps you ramp quicker. Um, one of my big things that I bring up on a lot of episodes is most for the most part, a lot of decks at least the ones that I built, you want to ramp on turn two, which is why the signets are good, which is why the talismans are good. Ramping growth is good. Turn two is the turn to ramp. Cultivate, we'll get to that later, yeah. <laughs> is the turn three ramp. That's still within green. That's, I mean, that's, if said robot was three mana, I'd be completely fine with playing it. Yeah, you know, it still it, gets you two cards. Absolutely. I mean, any color outside of green, I'd be fine with playing it. But four mana is too much. So a couple other cards that you should be considering. You probably heard of this one before if you've ever seen the channel. Wayfarer's Bobble. So Wayfarer's Bobble. <laughs> exactly. For those of you who don't know, is an artifact that costs one. You pay two and you sack it and you get a base land and a play tapped. Excuse me. <clears throat> so Wayfarer's Bobble, fantastic card, obviously. I love it. It's great. It goes in any deck. It ramps you with lands, again, which is more powerful than Mana Rocks because in our, plat in our platform, <laughs> in our in Commander, in the Commander format, destroying lands is kind of frowned upon. So it's a safer way to ramp the mana rocks, which, you know, if someone casts a Vandal Blast, then those are gone. So land ramp, better. Sad robot, not. Yeah. Still, if you're not looking, if you're looking outside of the talismans and outside of the signets, you can run something like Pendant of Prosperity um, in any color. Uh, green, again, probably doesn't want this, but other colors might. Pendant of Prosperity is an artifact that costs three. It enters the battlefield under the control of an opponent of your choice, and then you can pay two and tap it to draw a card and then put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Pendant of Prosperity's owner draws a card, and then that player plays a land card from their hand onto the battlefield. So essentially, you give it to someone else. They can choose to pay that two and tap it and draw that card and put a land into play, but they're the ones that have to pay that cost. Yeah. After you paid that initial, what is it, three mana? Three mana. And giving it to someone, essentially, you're going to be taxing them and getting a beneficial effect out of drawing and putting a land into play. Now, they're also getting a benefit from it, Right. And this is kind of more of a, this might be a political tool because you're not going to give it to the person who's ahead of everyone else, most likely. You want to give it to someone who's incentivized to use it. Maybe you and someone else are behind, you know, the the main player or the whoever's out in front right now. Yeah, and so you give it to someone else and say like, hey, let's catch up. You know, like we help each other out right here. But essentially you're depriving them of a resource while also benefiting them, but you get free benefits from it. So yeah. if this just gets activated once, it's worth it. Yeah. If this gets activated twice, it's 
amazing. Like three mana for two lands into play as well as drawing two cards. That's fantastic. The power it has to catch you up in a game is exactly. just amazing. Yeah. Exactly. And actually, even kind of different tech as well. If you can steal it, <laughs> <laughs> then you're just paying two to activate it, drawing two cards, and then putting two lands into play. So that's potentially yeah. another way to go about it, too. Or you put it under Mirsteel the Pretender. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Talking from a true Mirsteel player. Yep. Um, again, I mentioned this before, too. Okay, so outside of those, any efficient mana rock, in my opinion, is going to be better than um, Sad Robot. So, uh, what is this? Firemind Vessel. Like, let's just say that one, okay? It costs the exact same amount as Sad Robot. It costs four. It comes into play tapped, and you can tap it for two mana of two different colors. So, it gives you twice as much mana as a Sad Robot. Yes, it's a mana rock, so it is more likely to get destroyed. But still, I think that efficiency is worth the risk compared to the higher-costed, not higher-costed, same-costed robot that only gets you half the amount. Right. So... I'll get off my my case on the sad robot, um, but yeah, <laughs> sad robot can stay sad for all I care. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Okay, so uh, my next card is actually two cards, but they kind of fill the same slot. Sure. Um, it is Astronaut's Altar and Phyrexian Altar. For those of you who don't know who they are, Astronaut's Altar is a three mana artifact that says sacrifice a creature, add two colorless mana to your mana pool. And then Phyrexian Altar says, uh, it's also a three mana artifact. It says, sacrifice a creature, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Mm -hmm. um, so the reason why this is good is obviously any card that provides a repeatable and free sacrifice outlet will always be considered in certain decks, yep. like Aristocrats, yep. uh, Reanimator decks, tokens especially. Um, however, when you make a card that's that low, uh, affordable on the casting cost, yep. colorless, and with an effect that generates mana, it's kind of unique on its own. Yes. So it just it sees a ton of play in those particular type of decks. Free mana is a very powerful thing on a free sacrifice outlet. Right, for sure. So the reason it's on this list, though, is I've seen this card played, and um, while it provides that effect of the... Um, free sacrifice outlet at any time it can even get around things like split seconds mm -hmm. um sometimes there just isn't anything to do with the mana yeah um you know plenty of times we've seen it where it ramps them into a great board position but sometimes it just doesn't really do anything sure it's not it's not fulfilling what it could do it's just right. being the free sacrifice outlet so then it feels like you're not really getting the full value out of the card mm -hmm. so i've got a couple other suggestions of additional cards that could potentially have greater value or more synergistic uh, connection with what the deck wants to do overall. Mm -hmm. So one of those is called Spawning Pit, which is a two-mana artifact, so a little bit cheaper. Um, and it says, sacrifice a creature to put a charge counter on Spawning Pit. And then has a second ability that says, uh, pay one colorless mana and remove two charge counters from Spawning Pit. And then you put a 2-2 two -two spawn artifact creature token into play. Yep. I feel like this card is criminally underplayed in oh, yeah. token decks. Oh yeah. Um, just because you know a lot of times token gets get put uh, put um, behind because if they get wrathed, yeah, um, they lose all their tokens and they got to spend all that time rebuilding their yes. board, which is typically the way that they win or generate mm -hmm. uh, card advantage or board advantage. Um, so having this card in play allows them to put their uh, creatures that are going to be dying into this um, spawn pit, and then they can just uh, use it later to generate more creatures. Yeah, you're essentially getting back half the creatures that you had. Right. You have to pay one mana for each creature you're getting back, but you, you're not, they're not going to waste. Your, no, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so it's a great way to like recycle or reuse those yeah, it's kind um, of like tokens. Board wipe there. insurance, kind of. Yeah, and even in reanimator decks and such, you were going to be sacrificing the creature anyway. Yep. You might as well put it into something that can generate you just another creature, more card advantage, and yeah. board advantage later. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so the second card I want to talk about is Fallen Ideal. Um, this is a pet card of mine. Um, it is an enchantment aura, um, costs two and a black. Mm -hmm. um, and it says, Enha Enchant Creature. Enchanted creature has flying and sacrifice a creature. This creature gets plus two, plus one until end of turn. Mm -hmm. And then it has kind of that rancor effect where when Fallen Ideal is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, return Fallen Ideal to its owner's hand. Gotcha. I like this card a lot, even though it uh, is stuck in the black tree, mm -hmm. um, you know, not colorless, so can't fit in every deck. Sure. But for those that do play black, it provides a kind of a almost of a surprise or interesting um, commander damage. Uh, sure. Effect. Kind of an alternative win, like you might not usually win in an aristocrat style deck with right. your commander swinging out. In fact, you generally don't. Right. But this mm -hmm. says, hey, you thought I was going to do this, but now here comes takes yeah. a Karlov swinging for 40 damage. Ah! <laughs> 21. Yeah. So, so, yeah, just has that additional viability and mm -hmm. uh, flexibility with this uh, and still generates that, you know, free sacrifice yep. outlet. Absolutely. Well, and, and the, the weakness when it comes to auras, too, generally, is that if your creature that has it dies, you lose it. But since it has that Rancor effect, it comes back to your hand, so you're not losing out on anything. Yes, you have to recast it. But you keep getting it back. Right, for sure. So yeah. it's very, uh, it's it's hard to get rid of. Well, and since sure. actually you can, it's sacrifice a creature, right? Not yep. another. So you can sacrifice the creature that's on in case someone tries to exile your enchantment so, yeah. or your aura. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to get rid of. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. All right, the last card I want to talk about is Carnage Altar. So again, another two mana artifact. Um, it says, pay three mana, colorless mana, mm -hmm. sacrifice a creature, and draw a card. So... Not a free sacrifice outlet this time, but it has that benefit of drawing you a card. Yep. Um, so now instead of just producing mana off the creatures you sacrifice to this effect, um, you just dig deeper into your deck. You're getting some card advantage. You're, yeah. Yeah, replacing those cards that are on the field. So not uh, an obvious um, switch in terms of like power level, but mm. it's one that if you care more about drawing cards, uh, you know, digging for deeper answers, mm -hmm. um, this is a great inclusion that I feel like just is un underplayed. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Good picks. Good yeah. picks. I like them. All right. What do you got next? Next up, uh, this might upset some people. I think all my picks are going to upset people. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Next up is Sun Titan, which I think is very overplayed. So Sun Titan, for those of you who don't know, is a 6-6 giant that has vigilance and it costs four white-white. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may return target permanent card with converted mana cost of three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So this is a recursion spell on a big 6-6 vigilant body that can continue to provide value when it's attacking. Sure. So, Not bad, but... We, okay, let me ask you a question real quick. Would you pay six mana to get one thing back that costs three or less from your graveyard? Seems a little too expensive nowadays. It, it does. And so you really don't get that value until this actually attacks. So if you don't have a way to give it haste, or if you don't have a way to guarantee that you're getting that next attack, usually... Usually not all the time, but if you're not getting an extra attack through, it's just not worth it. So I see Sun Titan people assume that you're going to get those extra attacks. Oh, I'm yep. just going to keep doing that. I'm going to get my Oblivion Ring back. I'm going to get my whatever, whatever your three mana permanent for your graveyard, you're going to get all of them back with Sun Titan. But if it gets removed, you're way, you, you, you paid too much. Yeah. Um, also, I think that like, it's not just that I think it's kind of overrated in that aspect, but it's also just people seem to try to put it in any, every single kind of deck that they can. Sun Titan, I think works in very specific decks where most of your permanents have a low converted mana cost. Where, you yep. know, you want very specific things back that are going to be very impactful 
in that you can guarantee that you're going to get them back. Sure. But in other decks where you might have, you know, a lot of your permanents are, let's say your, your mana curve is around four or five, you're not going to have nearly as many targets for that. And so I think there's a lot more impactful spells that are out there than get you back a ton of things at once and be a lot more impactful in the decks that could use those and that might be using Suntime right now. Let's go through a couple of those now. So the first one is going to be Rally the Ancestors, which is a fantastic card. Oh, I, think I love it's, that one. I think it's very underplayed. Yeah. Uh, it's an instant for X, white, white. It says return each creature card with converted mana cost of X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Exile this creature at the beginning of the next end step. Exile Rally the Ancestors. So essentially what you're going to do with this most of the time is cast it right before your turn for X equals whatever your highest converted mana cost creature is or the one that you need to get back. Yeah. In aristocrat-style decks, which this can come in huge in, Usually you're going to have a very low mana curve, so again, like three or less. So Sun Titan could be effective in those decks, but again, that's only getting you back one thing at a time. Rally the Ancestors is going to get you back all those creatures, and then you can swing. They're not going to have haste, but you're kind of casting before your turn, so you can swing with them. You can also sacrifice them, so they're not going to be exiled in those kinds of decks. Yep. It's going to be a much more bigger, impactful play, especially in those risk-at-style strategies or reanimation strategies where you're just trying to have a big turn like that and just kind of surprise and take everyone out of nowhere. Yeah. So... I mean, sure, it doesn't get, like, other permanents, mm -hmm. but, you know, I see Sun Titan bring back lands all the time, and it's like, six mana to bring back a land seems a little too expensive. Well, white needs to ramp somehow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not necessarily a bad play, but again, like, that right. shouldn't be what you have your Sun Titan in there for. Yes, that yeah. is true. Um, so, yeah, so Rally Ancestors is fantastic for creatures. One that is great for artifacts and enchantments is Open the Vaults. It is a sorcery for four white white. It says return all artifact enchantment cards from, from all graveyards to the battlefield under their owner's control. So this does affect every single player. But if you're in a deck that really cares about getting artifacts or enchantments into your graveyard and back out and just having some big effects like that, then this can be much more impactful getting back everything at once rather than Sun Titan. Uh, one that I'm going to bring up, and we'll include the deck list in the description, uh, is Alex Brea's deck. Brea. Brea's. <laughs> Brea deck. Um, where this kind of effect can come in huge where you're just sacrificing a ton of artifacts you're turning through your deck and then you're bringing them all back and then you're sacrificing them again and again and again and again and so that card just has much more impact instead of sun titan where you're like okay i cast sun titan i get one artifact back cool pass turn next turn i'll attack with sun titan one artifact back not nearly as impactful not as big of a play and again it's not for every deck but the decks that's right. in it's gonna be much more impactful and then what we've talking been talking about is like be intentional with mm -hmm. um so some of these cards can have more power than you might think based yep. on how you build your deck around mm -hmm. them yeah absolutely and then actually one last one that really synergizes uh, with alex previous sack outs that he was talking about is face reward which is also in his Bray deck as well yeah <laughs> uh face reward is an instant for three and a white it says return to the battlefield all permanent cards in your graver that were put there from the battlefield this turn so this does affect all permanents just on your side so it can get you back everything it can get back your lands if you're sacrificing say an evolving wilds and get you back every creature that you sacrifice any artifacts that you sacrifice it's just another big impactful play and it's also it's also board white protection yeah so sure. it can just be a much bigger more impactful play than a sun titan and again Nothing against Sun Titan, but I think you're overplayed. For sure. <laughs> okay, let's get off the Sun Titan. What's your next one? Okay. Um, card that I included on this list is Karn Liberated. Um, so Karn Liberated is a Planeswalker mm. at seven colorless mana. Um, he starts uh, in play at six loyalty counters. Mm -hmm. He has three abilities, uh, plus four to target player exiles a card from his or her hand. Mm -hmm. Minus three to exile target permanent, and minus 14 to restart the game, leaving in exile all non-aura permanent cards exiled with Karn liberated. Then put those cards onto the battlefield under your control. Gotcha. 
So Karn is obviously a great card, which we see in a lot of different formats, especially modern. Yeah, so um, Tron decks, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, Tron. Yeah. Um, and so like obviously he's he's got like a great effect, and exile is a not um, unimportant a keyword in commander just yep. because then you can kind of get rid of something immediately um so typically Unless you're playing against a food chain deck then you don't want to do that well yeah <laughs> so that, that's a little bit just that's kidding. another story just but <laughs> but uh so that minus three ability is typically what you would play karn for yep um but honestly you know kind of like as we discussed karn just sometimes feels uh, like um an over investment yeah because um you know, he's a planeswalker. He shares all the weaknesses of planeswalkers, which means he can be attacked by creatures. Yep. And typically with a four-player pod, you've got three opponents. You know, you're going to have to go through those three turns, hope he isn't attacked, and then you have to either sacrifice him to minus three again or, you know, take that turn to plus four him yep. in order to keep him around for another minus three. Yep, and hope he's, hope he's six around for that too. Yeah. Um, and so – and. Sometimes Karn can kind of put a little bit of a um, target on your head because people know, like, okay, this is an onboard um, exile effect. Yep. Uh, I don't want to lose my stuff to his ability. I need to get rid of him. And, uh, oh, I've got this flyer, so I can pretty do that pretty easily. Yeah, you're kind of rallying everyone against you when you play something that powerful, potentially, that can... Right completely warp the game if For it sure. ultimates so. and to be honest like the price impact of karn is difficult he's yeah. like 50 plus dollars at this mm -hmm. point um so still a significant investment for a card that you know might remove one it doesn't do that much in command enough in to justify yeah. that price in one commander. or two cards it just yeah. doesn't feel like it yeah. so um the options that i've chosen as replacements um are significantly cheaper cards both uh oh, strictly in price they're mm -hmm. the same converted man or cost to activate um so the first one is meteor golem uh so this is a three three golem uh that says when meteor golem enters the battlefield destroy a target non-land permanent and opponent controls also mm -hmm. seven mana just like karn yep um so while it's still seven mana the fact that this is a creature makes it easier to recur than a planeswalker yeah um, tons of different effects bring back creature creatures not a ton of them bring back planeswalkers that's true well recur and also blink flicker that kind of stuff too right like that's for like, sure flickering planeswalkers isn't as easy as flickering creatures yeah so. definitely so a nice effect that's also just like eight cents right now <laughs> pick up all of them yeah buy uh, whatever fifty dollars divided by eight cents is pick up that many meter golems it's yeah worth, don't don't do that but okay <laughs> All right, so the next one I have is uh, uh, Unstable Obelisk, which is a three-mana artifact uh, that has the ability to tap to add a colorless mana to your mm -hmm. mana pool, so it's a mana rock. Yep. Um, but also has a, uh, an effect to pay seven mana into it and tap it and sacrifice it to destroy target permanent. Gotcha. So it has a very similar effect to Karn, and yep. that it has a seven mana effect to destroy something, but it has more playability in the early turns. Yep. It's a mana rock, and you can st stick around and generate your mana until you're ready to uh, uh, take care of that one thing that's been bothering you the entire game. Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess in this one you can use at instant speed as well, whereas Karn, right. you have to do on your turn, so if someone plays a threat that's immediate, this can deal with it. Karn can't. Yeah, definitely. So uh, It's definitely that threat, instant speed threat. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, um, the other card that I want to talk about is Scour from Existence. Yeah. So this is just a seven mana instant, seven colorless mana, and just says exile target permanent. Um, so again, exile is an important keyword in Commander. Yep, absolutely. Um, important here. And then this um, 
also like hides the fact that you've got this effect in your hand. Yes. Um, being able to cast it at instant speed can take care of that one threat that's either just going to destroy the entire board or, um, you know, specifically targeting you. Um, so it's a great surprise uh, removal effect. Yeah, absolutely. Or you can, you're saving up your mana, you know, for you have options that, you know, right before your turn where instead of, you know, having to dedicate that seven mana to Karn on your turn, yep. you can hold off with this and you can decide, you know, do I actually need to use this or not? Or maybe I'll cast my pull from tomorrow or whatnot yeah. for a lot of mana too. And can be br brought back with things like uh, Archaeomancer that yep. can bring back uh, uh, instance or sorcery. Again, much sure. easier to bring back pretty much anything except for Planeswalkers. Yeah. So. And 17 cents isn't that bad for this kind of effect. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. I like your, I like your picks. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, uh, moving on. Again, another card that's going to upset some people. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why do you keep picking these? I don't know. Um, Eternal Witness. So Eternal Witness is a 2-1 human shaman that costs one green green. When Eternal Witness enters the battlefield, you may return target card from your graveyard to your hand. So again, I think this is kind of like, I mean, I've, I think the, every single one I've brought up so far is kind of a, it's used in too many decks. Um the amount of mana that it costs, I don't believe is good enough for its effect in most situations. Right. So if you said to me, hey, you get one card back and you get a 2-1 on the board, is that usually that worth it for three mana? Debatable. Deba okay, debatable. There is a debate <laughs> going on for that. Sure. Okay. For decks that can use and abuse it, if they can recur it to then get its effect again, or if they can blink it to get its effect again, that is very useful. But mm -hmm. for most decks that are just putting that in their deck they might not have another way to do that and to actually get extra value out of that. And how many times in Commander have you said, you know what, I just really need that a 2-1 on, on the board. You know, that's just yep. going to be so impactful if I had a 2-1. Never. Rarely. So. I mean, Crater of Behemoth plus that. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I would much rather have a lot of other effects. So let's go through some of them now, just really quick. Um, Regrowth is kind of like the standard for recursion in green. Yep. It's a fantastic card. I'm glad it was reprinted in M25 because um, it dropped it from, I think, a dollar to like 10 cents. So yeah. go get them now. Um, Regrowth is a sorcery that costs one in a green. It says return target card from your graveyard to your hand. So it costs one less, but it's not even just one less. It's also one green less. So it's much easier to cast for most decks. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that some decks don't mean. It's not impossible to cast things that cost two green, obviously. Yep. But I think that some decks don't really can even consider that, you know... Um, uh, blue Sun Zenith has three blue in its mana cost. Like, that's a lot to, you right. know, maybe there's some situations where you then can't cast something else that has blue in it or, you know, with the turtle when it's green. Yeah. So it's just, it's much more efficient. You're getting one card back for two mana, which is a good rate. And again, the 2 1 body, meh, you can, you can take it or leave it most of the time. It's yeah. not going to be worth that one mana. And that helps with the mana efficiency too. By simply being two mana instead of three, yep. you can easier cast that card that you brought back. Absolutely. Maybe even the same turn that you bought back from the graveyard. Absolutely. I mean, there are going to be times where you cast an Eternal Witness and you're one mana short from casting that thing and you're mm -hmm. like, I wish I should have listened to Mitch and played that regrowth. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another one. Uh, Seeds Renewal. Uh, this used to be a very budget card. Uh, it's like a dollar something now. Um, Please reprint it, Wizards. Uh, Seeds Renewal is a sorcery for six in a green. So it's pretty expensive, but it has Undaunted, so it's going to cost less, which means it costs one less for each opponent. And it says return up to two target cards from your graveyard to your hand, exile Seeds Renewal. So most of the time, if you're playing in a four-player game, you're going to have three opponents. It's going to cost you a total of four mana. So again, like Regrowth, it's going to be you get back half as many cards as the amount of mana you put into it. So you're putting in four mana, you get back two. It's a fantastic rate. So unlike Eternal Witness, you're basically spending spending one more mana and you get back an extra card which is definitely worth it in my book oh yeah well especially in decks that like have 
strong synergies typically you're going to have multiple cards that mm-hmm. you know, have similar effects or can benefit um and so getting two cards instead of one is actually very uh, impactful yeah exactly you're not making that okay which one of these two do i you know get back i need to you know make i need to do two different things you've got you know more flexibility with that you've got more kind of impactful plays that you can make when someone thinks that they've got you on the ropes and then you get back your two best cards from your graveyard you're going to be able to Punch through. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, one that can be even more impactful for some decks, not for all, is All Sun's Dawn. And I think this one is criminally underplayed as well. It's a sorcery for four and a green. It says, for each color, return up to one target card of that color from your graveyard to your hand. Exile All Sun's Dawn. So essentially, you're getting back depending on what your deck is. I only recommend this card really for decks that are three or more mana. Sorry, three or more colors. Um, so um, you can get back... Uh, up to you know three cards for five mana that's fantastic if you've got you know a four color deck you're getting back four cards for five mana potentially five color deck even better one card for each mana that you spend on that that's incredible yeah again you don't really want to run this in a one or two color deck it's not going to be as impactful obviously but it can be really impactful in a deck like joda getting you back a ton of things and you're just going through and casting instead of just playing you know one eternal witness and getting back one thing for three mana you can get back five cards for five mana that's just a much better rate and again much more impactful plays and again, I think Eternalist is not a bad card. And the decks that can abuse it and get that effect over and over again, keep doing that. But the decks that are just saying, oh, it's a good green card. I need to include in every green deck. I think you're wrong. Yeah. We got more different. We have a bunch of different options that mm-hmm. are available to us. Yeah. 100% agree. Awesome. All right. What's your next one? All right. My next card is Elish Norn Grand Cenobite. Uh, so this is a very commonly seen uh, white card that is five and double white. It's a legendary creature. It's a Praetor, and it is four seven. It has Vigilance, and it has other creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and also creatures your opponents control get minus two, minus two. So... You know, this card is obviously great um, because it has that dual Anthem and negative Anthem effects for Mm -hmm. both you and your opponents. Um, Anthems have been around forever in Magic, um, and, uh, you know, you always see a population of players that just love to play these kind of effects. I mean, it's just great when your creatures are just, like, keep getting stronger, and especially for this card when your opponent's cards keep getting weaker. Sure. Um, I put this on the Good Stuff deck, though, uh, Good Stuff list, though, because I feel like, um there isn't always an intent behind um the effects sure it's just like i just want to make my creatures bigger and i want to potentially like keep my opponents locked out of the game sure um you know sometimes there's only a few times i've seen the elish norm be played defensively and that like i want to take care of an opponent that um you know is getting too far ahead creature wise um it's really difficult to deal with their giant dinosaurs for example yep so i want to make them smaller yep um so and then also to the effect that it impacts all of your opponents. Yep. So maybe you've got a couple of opponents that are struggling. Um, this is might completely wipe out their boards, and then all of a sudden it's just you versus the other person that's got a strong board presence. Sure. Uh, that doesn't really always lead to great games, um, and just seems like an unintentional um, negative impact on. Sure. The board if you're side. playing a Kai card deck, you're probably going to be too happy when this comes down. Right. For yeah. sure. Not great. So um, there's a few options that I would recommend as alternatives to that. And um, so for those people that do play Elish Norn defensively on occasion or for that purpose, um, Curse of Death's Hold might be a good alternative option. Yeah, it's a black card. Um, it's an enchantment, which is an aura curse, which is mm. kind of interesting. Um, and it's three colorless black black. 
and it says enchant target player um creatures enchanted player controls get minus one minus one so this is a much better effect if you're looking to kind of control an opponent's board that sure. might be trying to get a little bit further ahead but doesn't have that um uh, negative impact to your other the other players sure, you're not putting that big target on your back because you've got that in play you might say hey can you use this political tool hey i'm yeah. using this on this player to slow them down you know it, kind of like work with me here yeah for sure like i'm taking care of this uh, i need your help on a couple of other things and we can kind of get back to balance yeah for sure all right um also as an enchantment it's much more difficult to remove yes um for certain decks so actually a lot of things we brought up kind of are creatures generally and yeah. just creatures are, are the easiest permanent type to remove yeah definitely so. all right second card i have is marshall's anthem this is another enchantment um it is two and double white um and has a multi-kicker effect for one and a white so it says creatures you control get plus one plus one so still has that anthem effect but also when marshall's anthem enters the battlefield you can return up to x target creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield where x is the number of times marshall's anthem was kicked okay so you've got an anthem effect and you can play that fairly early compared to the seven mana cost of elishnor yep absolutely um so if that's all you were looking for then sure you got an anthem for four mana yep um but also has that additional effect of um, recurring creatures that then subsequently get buffed by um, Martial Anthem's effect. Yep. Um, so just has that additional tactical flexibility. Yep. If you get, just happen to have a ton of mana on board, you can just like return a whole bunch of creatures at yep. once. Um, so just like all upside in those decks that care about that particular type of effect. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, the last card I want to talk about is Micaeus the Lunark. Um, so this is a legendary creature, human cleric. Its base power and toughness is 0-0, zero, zero, um, and its converted mana cost is uh, X and a white. However, it says Micaeus the Lunark enters the battlefield with X plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. Okay. And then has a tab ability. says put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on Micaeus. And another tab ability that says remove a plus 1 plus 1 counter from Micaeus and put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on each other creature you control. Gotcha. So we just talked about how Elish Norn at 7 mana can be a little bit difficult to cast in the early game yep. and have that impact. Yep. Um, and like Craterhoof, it doesn't. It feels like it just kind of like needs to win the game because sure. you've invested all that time and mana into that one card. And you've upset your opponents. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, whereas Micaeus can come down fairly early sure. um, and like um, subtly impact the board as turns go on. Yep. You can add counters to him or you can like start churning those counters onto the creatures that you start playing yeah um so you just have that more static effect on board that entire time gotcha um or in later game you can just drop him for a bunch of mana and he's huge yeah that's true yeah very so, flexible card that works yeah. especially well in token synergies or even plus plus one counter synergies too yeah so the more cards that you put on board then activate him for the better your board state's gonna be yeah absolutely yeah i like it all right Good what picks. do you got next oh next up Got a actually probably the most expensive card I bring up so far. Um, not that you brought up, Karn's pretty expensive, <laughs> uh, but uh, the one that I have, uh, Consecrated Sphinx. Consecrated Sphinx is a four-six flying Sphinx that costs four blue blue, and it's very simple. It says whenever an opponent draws a card, you may draw two cards. Ah. Drawing cards in Commander is a very powerful thing. Yep, just slightly. So drawing two cards every single time one of your opponents draws one is pretty crazy. It just feels so bad when you draw a card and your opponent's like, oh, yep, I draw oh, two. Perfect. Yeah, I get two. Yeah, yeah, thanks, yeah. yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, so, I mean, even that, if that just stays on the table for one turn around, you are at the very least getting six cards. Yeah. So, if people play other effects where they're drawing cards, you're drawing even more. If someone's got a Rhystic Study, thank you very much. Yeah. It's a very powerful card. I don't know if I can say it's overplayed, but I think that people, again, we brought it multiple times, creatures are the easiest things to remove. Yeah. Consecrated Sphinx, 
I haven't seen it stick around for too many times. No. I see it get it is in public enemy number one as soon as it comes out because that person's going to get way ahead on cards if that is allowed to come. Yeah, if that is allowed to stay on the board, then things are just going to get out of hand. So that person immediately puts a target on that and on their back as well. Right. Well, I've seen games too where like someone plays a consecrated sphinx and then before their turn ends, someone will doomblade it. Oh yeah. And then it's like, oh, I've invested six mana into something. Draw zero cards. Draw zero cards, but I still have that um, target on my back because yep. I've chosen to play this card. You're like, hey, yeah, this is exactly what I'm doing, and everyone's just like, ah, it's like that, huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nuclear option for exactly. sure. Exactly. Say yeah. goodbye to that, and then goodbye to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, I think that blue has. Blue's got the, the most options, in my opinion, when it comes to card draw. Yeah. And it's a very powerful color when it comes to card draw. So there's just a lot of other things that you can consider playing instead of the Sphinx that I think are kind of more not guaranteed to provide value, but more guaranteed to provide value. Yeah. <laughs> more likely to provide value. Um, so the first is going to be Psychic Possession, which actually I think is a very cool card. It's and awesome. I <laughs> doesn't see enough play. Um, it is an aura. It costs two blue-blue. It says enchant opponent, skip your draw step. When enchanted opponent draws a card, you may draw a card. So it's kind of like a baby Consecrated Sphinx. Um, yeah. You There's a downside to it. You skip your draw step, which Consecrated Sphinx doesn't have. Yeah. You're only getting one card for whenever one opponent draws a card. But it is an enchantment, so it's a lot harder to remove than the Sphinx is. For sure. So it's also not as kind of a, you know, again, like giant target on your back card. Right. I mean, you yeah. might upset that person that you played it on, but the other two people are probably going to be okay with that. Yeah, they'll be like, okay, sure. Yeah, sure, whatever. And if you're putting it on, usually, okay, it depends on the meta if this is going to be a good card or not for you. But in a lot of metas that I play in, uh, card draw is a very big thing, and people love drawing a ton of cards. Mm -hmm. So when plays out a Rhystic Study, you put it on that person, congratulations, you are the proud owner of a Rhystic Study. <laughs> like, literally, you're just draw you're, you're staying at pace with the player that is going to be drawing the most cards. If you're playing in it against a Locust God deck, and you attach it to them, and they wheel, you're drawing for their wheel and your wheel. Yeah. So bad. you're drawing double the amount that that player is drawing. Like it's, <laughs> it's a card that's very flexible. Again, it's almost always got a use. It costs two less than the Sphinx, and it's not going to put a big target on your back, as big of a target on your back, and it's going to stay on the board more often than not compared to the Sphinx. For sure. Okay. Next card. Uh, this is kind of like a, actually, Consecrated Sphinx-ish, like Consecrated Sphinx Jr. Uh, Sire of Stagnation. It's a 5-7 Eldrazi with Devoid, which is a very relevant mechanic. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it costs four blue black and says whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control that player exiles the top two cards of their library and then you draw two cards so this is less of a guaranteed draw than the sphinx would be because the sphinx everyone is pretty much going to be drawing one card at least during their turn for, for sure. the most part yeah so everyone doesn't have to play a land during their turn or at a certain point of the game might not have lands to play right yeah but when they do play lands, or if you're playing against a landfall-based deck, they're going to have to still do that. They're going to be milling themselves, which, again, isn't necessarily the point of this card. In a mill deck, yes, this is can be great. Sure. But the point for you is to be drawing those cards. Yep. So it will still put a target on itself. It is a powerful enough card, I believe, that people will be like, okay, I'm going to you know, perk up a little bit. That is going to draw you a lot of cards, or it's going to prevent me from doing what I want to do. And some people don't like mill. So Some people don't like mill, exactly. But if you're not playing it in a mill strategy, people might not... People usually give the benefit of the doubt if you don't have Phoenix as your commander or Una as your commander that you're probably not trying to mill them, but you never know. Yeah. But it can also kind of be like a, not even a taxing effect, but like it can slow people down just because they're going to choose not to play lands. So even yeah. if you're not getting a draw effect out of it, you're still like de-ramping them kind of. You are preventing them from playing lands, which 
you're going to get ahead in a different way then. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Again, it still is a target. It's like creature, so it's more easy to remove, but it's not as big of a threat as the Sphinx, and it's not going to put that giant target on your back that that might. For sure. So, last card, and this is oh, one of my personal <laughs> favorites, and actually the very first deck tech I did uh, on this channel, it's Nezahal Primal Tide. Take so, a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to it. Uh, it's a 7-7 seven, seven Elder Dinosaur that costs 5 blue blue. All right, and get ready. It can't be countered. You have no maximum hand size. Whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, draw a card, discard three cards, exile Nez Hall, return to the battlefield, tapped under its owner's control at the beginning of the next 10 step. Everyone catch that? Okay, so... <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, Nez Hall does everything. Nez Hall is fantastic. It does cost one more than the Sphinx, but let me tell you why, in my opinion, I'd rather have it in most decks anyways. It can't be countered, so that's automatic protection there. Mm -hmm. You can also discard three cards to get it out of there and bring it back at the end of the turn. So that saves it from target removal and from board wipes. You're going to have cards in your hand because it's going to draw you a card for each non-creature spell that's cast by anyone. Yep. There's no tax. It's not like Rhystic Study gives you one for each spell it's cast, whatever, but people can pay that taxing effect. There's no paying to get around this. Yep. And it gives you no maximum hand size, so you get to keep all those cards, unlike the Sphinx. Nezahal is just, it does everything. It does, yep. it is a, it's essentially, I mean, like, even better than an enchantment when it comes to being protected because it can protect itself. Right. So, in my opinion, and, and again, I, it is not going to tilt your opponents enough to come after you just because you have Neza Hall necessarily versus the Sphinx. They're going to spend too much time reading what the text says. They're not even going to understand yeah. it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Neza Hall is a fantastic option. Consider that, please, above the Sphinx in certain situations. Again, Sphinx, great card. Might not be overplayed, but again, it's kind of one of those boring effects where, like, okay, they play the Sphinx. Let's kill that person. Right, for okay. sure. All right, your All turn. Right. So, uh, we mentioned it just a little bit ago, but uh, my next card is Rhystic Study, uh, which is another enchantment, um, but it costs two and a blue. Mm -hmm. And it, ha it says, whenever an opponent plays a spell, you may draw a card unless that player pays one. I think a lot of people at this point are familiar with Rhystic Study, but it, obviously it is great because it taxes your opponents. Are you going to pay one um, for that? Yes. You're going to pay one for that? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times I've heard that across the... It's like, especially in the decks where I play lots of things at once. Yep. It's just like, just just draw. I don't You're care. Just, I'll tell you what I'm going to pay one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it taxes your opponents for whenever they play any spell. Yep. Um, and, you know, then you get card advantage off of that if they decide not to pay. Mm. You know, and especially because it's so efficiently costed yeah um it comes down super early i mean like the number of times i've seen land soul ring and then next turn rhystic study is yeah. just oh well, it was made well before commander was considered obviously because right. in a 1v1 that's not that good of an effect yeah it, could, it, very it was, it was like it was a common right printed a common yeah but, printed yeah, a common. but um and yet a 19 dollar card <laughs> yeah <laughs> now it is it's like yeah. oh okay so um obviously it has that effect which is great and then can draw you a bunch of cards yep but sometimes, um, you know, in certain games, it may not really have that effect. And especially when you don't draw it early, it can seem a little um, inefficient for um, when you play it. And yep. also, like, the impact it can have on your opponents oh, when yeah. they decide, oh, I see he's playing Rhystic Study. Uh, same thing, like, with the Sphinx. He just puts that target on your back. Sure, yeah. Um, so, like, if you drop this on turn six, it's just not, you know, your opponents are much more able to be able to, like, Pay the mana yeah. so you don't draw the cards, and then they're going to just turn around and attack you because you know you're taxing them now yeah. for everything that they pay. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so a couple of different options that I have to play other than Rysik Study. Um, first one is Kumena's Awakening. Uh, so this is another enchantment. Yep. Um, two double blue. And it has a send. So if you control 10 or more permanents, then you gain the city's blessing for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, each player draws a card. And then if you have the city's blessing, instead only you draw a card. Okay. So this is a really interesting card because um, not only do you have that um, same ability of being able to draw cards on your upkeep, sure, it, it doesn't draw you as many cards in a turn cycle, yep. um, but it has the additional effect of being an early game kind of like political move, like, here, everyone have some I'm cards. Helping everyone out, exactly. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Not as much of a target on your back for when you play this. Yep. But then once you get to a, a sufficient enough board state, only you're going to start it. Uh, only you are going to be drawing the cards sure. at that point. And in Commander, it won't take you that long to get to ten permanents no, generally. For sure. So, I, mean, I mean, if you're playing this and just with four lands and with it on the field, then that's five already. You're halfway there. Yep, halfway there. Um, and then you're just going to start gaining that subtle effect of drawing an additional card each yep. turn. So it's great. Well, that's a guaranteed draw versus risk study. People can, you know, all your opponents. I've seen it before where you know say, okay, if you pay, I'll pay, and we'll all pay, and they'll never right. get any effect out of it. And, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, another option is Monastery Siege. So this is another enchantment, two and a blue, just like Rystic Study. Um, so this says, as Monastery Siege enters the battlefield, choose cons or dragons. Um, so the cons option is a little bit uh, closer to the Rystic Study effect, where it says, at the beginning of your draw step, draw an additional card, then discard a card. Mm. And then the dragons effect says, spells your opponent's cast that target you or a permanent you control cost two more to cast. Gotcha. So right off the bat, you've got an additional effect that um, if the draw effect isn't going to be super great late game, you can instead turn it around to make your permanence and you more difficult to target yeah. um, for removal effects, for things that are just going to like make you lose the game, yeah. um, those kind of things. More but taxing, it's a more flexible card. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah. has has that additional uh, ability. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the cons effect, um, you know, draws you an additional card at the beginning of, the, of your turn. Um, you do have to discard a card, but that sometimes can be great. Yeah. Um, for like certain decks like Moldrotha, where basically your graveyard is almost an additional library or yeah, additional hand. hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, or um, certain other um, effects like um, cards that want to mass reanimate sure. um, through like Rise of the Dark Realms or yep. some other card like that. Well, I think um, in general looting is just undervalued by many people because like it might not be card advantage. It's not getting you ahead on cards, but it is card selection. If you've got dead cards in your hand, especially late game with lands, yep. you just want to get ditch those for better cards anyway. So right. It's, it's not going to get you ahead, but it will replace them with more effective cards. For sure. Yeah. All right. And the last card I have is Pull from Tomorrow, mm-hmm. which is a, a blue instant, costs X double blue, and simply says draw X cards, then discard a card. Yep. So while it doesn't stick around the game um, and draw you cards for relative cheap cost, yep. um, it does draw you a larger mass of cards for one card effect. Yes. Um, sometimes this is just important in, uh, in later games where um, you just need to draw a bunch of cards and find that win condition uh, mm-hmm. for your next turn, and then um, you know you've dug sufficiently deep to be able to find it. Yeah. Um, but also can be good early game if you're just looking for that one land drop, uh, or you're <laughs> yeah. trying to filter early. That's so, true. Um, Definitely a different flexible choice, yep. um, but has the larger long game impact. Absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, later in the game, would you rather have on turn nine a Rhystic Stud in your hand or a pull from tomorrow? Yeah. I think 99% of people would probably say the pull from tomorrow so you can you know draw whatever it is, 10 cards, discard one, yep. and put you way ahead, dig to the card that you need to get instead of, okay, Rhystic Study. Do people want to start playing cards and hopefully yeah. I'll draw into what I need essentially, <laughs> right. eventually? Yeah, no, not all the time. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. What you got? What you got next? All right. Our last uh, one. You might have seen it coming since I kind of you know brought up in the very beginning of the show. <laughs> uh, is Cyclonic Rift. So Cyclonic Rift, for those of you who don't know, is an instant that costs one and a blue and says return target non-land permanent you don't control to its owner's hand and has an overload cost of six and a blue. So essentially, if you do that, all of your opponent's non-land permanents get bounced, and yours stay on the field yep. at instant speed for seven mana, one-sided board wipe. Yes, it's an extremely powerful card and there is nothing else like it in commander yep for sure yes it is it's a very powerful blue card that does not mean that it goes in every single blue deck without thinking about it right and that's the problem that i have with a lot of decks out there that i see this played in a specific deck and i think with this kind of list i'm going to go through actual commanders that i think it has no no right to belong in and i see it in a decent enough percentage of decks where i'm concerned so yeah start thinking people please yeah um it's a very powerful card. Again, boring, overplayed, but good for the right deck. Yeah. Here's some decks that it's not good in, in my opinion, and that you should consider taking out if you have it in there. First one, Golos, Tireless Pilgrim, one of my favorite commanders as of recent. Um, essentially, I'm not going to go through the entire card, but basically you can pay two in Wooburg and exile the top three cards of your library and then play them this turn without paying their mana cost. So Golos wants to essentially ramp and then activate that ability as many times as it can. You just over want to just keep going over and over and over again and just have a huge turn where you're, you're cheating giant things off the top of your library and it can be very impactful and great. The problem is with Cyclonic Rift is that if you hit Cyclonic Rift off the top three, do you get that overload cost? Mm. No. So you're bouncing one permanent. One non-land permanent. <laughs> Not worth it. And people say, well, I'm going to draw it. So I'll get to use it then. Perfect. Yeah, but if your Golos deck is working correctly, you're going to be getting more things off the top than you're going to be drawing. So chances right. are you're going to be hitting that Cyclonic Rift instead of actually hitting things that are going to be more useful, such as other board wipes that are one-sided. Right. In Garrick's Wake, destroys all creatures you don't control and all Planeswalkers you don't control. It costs nine mana, which is two more than Cyclonic Rift's overload cost, but in a goal stack, that does not matter. Yeah. Again, Happy gonna... to pay two in Wurberg for that card. Exactly. It, yeah. You're blowing up everyone's stuff. And again, this is destroying versus bouncing, which is generally going to be better for most strategies. Yeah. Maybe not against random mana strategy, but still. Urza's Ruinous Blast, one of my favorite board wipes, and I think it, one that is criminally underplayed. Uh, it says, it's a legendary sorcery for four and a white. It says, exile all non-land permanents that aren't legendary. So unlike um, unlike Cyclonic Rip, this isn't bouncing things, this is exiling. Most things aren't legendary that are going to be on the board, unless you're playing against like a Kethys deck, or is it Kethys? Whatever yeah. that legendary one that cares about legendaries is. Most of the time, this can be much more impactful. And again, if you hit off the top, it's going to be much better. Uh, Volcanic Vision. Even Volcanic Vision is better than Cyclonic Rift in this deck, in my opinion. It it's a sorcery that costs 5 red red. It says return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Volcanic Vision deals damage equal to that card's converted mana cost to each creature your opponent's control. Exile Volcanic Vision. Most of the time in a goalless deck, you will have something that is significant enough, um, high enough converted mana cost in your graveyard that you want to get back, and that will just destroy your opponent's boards when you get it back with Volcanic Vision. Did basically the same thing you wanted to do anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cyclonic Rift you're going to hit it off the top with goals and you're going to be sad. So take it out of your goal decks, please. All right, next up, Joyrot Weatherlight Captain. Joyrot Weatherlight Captain, in my opinion, does not want Cyclonic Rift either. She is a 3-3 human artificer that costs two blue red. She has whenever you cast a sword spell, draw a card. So in a Joyrot deck, you usually want to go an artifact storm kind of route where you're just casting cheap artifacts over and over again. And you're just drawing throughout your entire deck and you're getting your storm count up. And then you cast something big at the end. 
So Cyclonic Rift is going to bounce your opponent's stuff, but that's usually not necessarily what you even need to do with that deck. Sometimes you just want to bounce your own things too. So you're going to yep. be more beneficial. You're going to be more beneficial. Things will be more beneficial if you've got some more flexible cards that can help you bounce your own things too, like Aethergale. Aethergale is a sorcery that costs three blue blue. It says return six target non-land permanents to the owner's hands. So it's not nearly as efficient as a Cyclonic Rift, which can bounce... Uh, hundreds, thousands, whatever, whatever, if you're playing as a token deck. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you can bounce a ton of things back to your opponent's hands, but you can't bounce your own things. Right. So Aethergale, you can choose, let's say that there's three really kind of uh, detrimental things to you on the board. You can bounce those things back to their hands, and you can bounce three of your own artifacts back to your hands so you can replay them, draw more cards, and just keep going. Another card, Displacement Wave. It costs X blue blue and it's a sorcery. It says return all non-lane permits with converted mana cost of extra less to the owner's hands. So... With this one, this is a very flexible card where if you're not in a situation where you need to bounce your opponent's things, you can just spend two mana for that X. So you're spending four mana in total, bouncing pretty much all of your little artifacts back to your hands so then you can recast them and just have a huge turn out of it. Yeah. If you do need to bounce your opponent's things or opponent's permanence, you can. You just pay a little more in the X and then you're bouncing their things as well. Yeah, if you have flexibility to choose what exactly. you want out of the card. Exactly. One or the other. It's not just yeah. a you know, sledgehammer effect that Cyclonic Rift is. You know, it's a more refined tool for that deck. Yeah. Um, and then actually Temporal Fisher is one of my favorite cards of all time. <laughs> and I love it in the Joyra deck because it always gets people and it's hard to stop. Uh, it's a sorcery for four and a blue. And it says return target permanent to its owner's hand and it has Storm. So essentially for every one of those little artifacts that you cast that turn, for every spell that you've cast in that turn, for every spell that has been cast in that turn, even by your opponents, you're getting an extra copy of that. Cyclonic Rift, uh, remind me, can, can it actually get any, can it bounce lands? Mm, pretty sure not. Can Temporal Fisher? Maybe. Yeah, it can. <laughs> so you can bounce, it, it can be a win con, it can bounce all of your opponent's perms, including their lands, and it can bounce your own things back to your hand if you're casting it earlier in the game so that you can just keep your engine going. Again, yep. flexible cards are better in these kinds of decks. Yeah, for sure. And finally, let me go through one last one really quick. Moldrotha. Moldrotha, I do not think, needs Cyclonic Rift. For those of you who don't know, Moldrotha says during each of your turns, you may play up to one permanent card. If, sorry, move to one permanent card of each permanent type from your graveyard. So Moldrotha cares about permanence. Cyclonic Rift, not a permanent. All Moldrotha decks do not have to be all permanent decks, but you're going to get more value out of permanent base board wipes than you will based off of Cyclonic Rift. Right. Now, if you've got something like we're Eternal Witness and you can recur it to get the Cyclonic Rift back, there's a lot more steps to make that work, but. Let me just go through some board wipes that you should be considering over Cyclonic Rift in those decks. Plague Boiler. Plague Boiler is an artifact that costs three. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, put a Plague Counter on Plague Boiler. You can then pay one black green and put a Plague Counter on Plague Boiler or remove one from it. When it has three or more Plague Counters on it, you sacrifice it and destroy all non-land permanents. So again, you're destroying permanents versus bouncing them, which is generally more impactful. Mm -hmm. You can also control when this one goes off by either putting more mana into it to add counters to it or to take them away. And it's one that you can get back in a Moldrotha deck to do it again. Yep. So, again, permanents are important to Moldrotha. And that's why also I'm going to recommend Neverall's Disc. Neverall's Disc is an artifact that costs four. When it enters the battlefield, it enters tapped. You can pay one and tap it to destroy all artifact, creatures, and enchantments. Very easy to recur because it blows itself up, just like Plague <laughs> Butter. <laughs> and you can just keep getting that back and using it over and over again to wipe out your opponent's boards. And you're a board as well, but you've got ways to get your things back. Oh, yeah. Uh, finally, Pernicious Deed. Pernicious Deed is an enchantment that costs one black green, and you pay X, and then you sacrifice it to destroy each artifact creature and enchantment with converted mana cost of X or less. Again, destroying things just usually going to be more impactful. You can keep getting this back. I think I'm repeating myself here, but basically, Moldrotha cares about permanence. Cyclonic Rift, although it's a great card, is not a permanent. 
Are there ways to abuse it and recur it in that deck? Yes, but there's a lot of things you have to work around to do that. Right, for so, sure. Just with all these good stuff cards, for a lot of different reasons, I recommend really thinking about it and actually considering, is this, is this just, am I including this just because it's good? Or am I including it because it's actually good for this deck? Right, for sure. And you'll find that sometimes with the right deck, some of these cards just are, you know, have more power yep. um, than maybe what is printed or maybe your considerations for like the larger mass of commander Absolutely. decks. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, honorable mention real quick. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because I've talked for too long at this point anyway. Uh, I think um, a good stuff card that I think is pretty overrated and sees far too much play in the decks, um, Cultivate in Kodama's Reach, essentially the same card. Cost three or cost two in a green, you get a basic land in your hand and a basic land to play tapped. I think it costs too much um, compared to other options. Again, I mentioned earlier, I want to ramp on turn two generally. This ramps turn three. Yes, it fixes for another turn, but there are decks that are running it that I do, I believe, should not be. Uh, a couple just to mention real quick. A Rixmithies, you want to get Rixmithies out on turn three consistently. Mm -hmm. Cultivate does not allow you to do that. Uh, Skullbriar. Skullbriar wants to come out on turn two, and you want to use effects to get its counters up quickly and efficiently. You're not going to cast Skullbriar, and then the next turn go Cultivate. And then just, it's essentially a wasted turn in a Skullbriar deck. Right. Um, Edric. Uh, Edric decks uh, are very low to the ground. You've got a lot of small creatures. You do not need to ramp in those kinds of decks. You're just going to be getting more little creatures out and attacking with them, and that's it. You don't, if you have a Cultivate in your hand, in your opening hand, in most decks, you'd want to cast on turn three. In an Edric deck, if you cast on turn three, you're doing something wrong because you're not casting Edric. Uh, yeah, and you're probably losing. You're probably losing, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I will get off my rant about <laughs> Cultivate. Better cards, Wayfarer's Bobble, Golden Farmhand, Edge of Autumn, Grow from the Ashes for certain decks. Consider those over them, please. All right. Before we move on, <laughs> after all that, before we move on... Um, Alec, do you find that you include good stuff cards um, like these in your decks, or do you try to avoid using them if possible? Sure. Um, well, they always make the consideration list, sure. at least, because, I mean, they're incredibly powerful cards. Yeah. If I want that sort of effect in the deck, I want to, I, I'm going to consider them. Yeah, they're good um, for a reason. Yeah. As we discussed, I tend to lean more towards the synergistic decks. Um, so sometimes there are valid reasons to play these because synergy decks sometimes, uh, because you want to kind of like have the same effect over and over and over again, you yep. have to make certain card selection choices that are less powerful, um, as individual cards. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you do that, you have to make a large mass of them in the deck and you have less slots sometimes for either win conditions yep. or removal. So sometimes it's really tempting to play like a cyclonic rift in those yep. kind of decks because you, you kind of almost need, feel like you need to make up the power level somewhere. Sure, sure. Um, however though, I have been trying to actively, um, choose other options if they fit well synergistic wise sure. um so um you know as you mentioned the displacement wave instead of the um uh cyclonic rift yep. um if it does a good job of like bouncing all my creatures or my artifacts back to my hand so that i can recast them and yep. replay them for value sure um makes it feel better in that case and then i also i can also use that spell for uh still a you know mass removal spell if i have enough mana yep yeah for sure absolutely um, and, you know, another reason uh, I typically try to move away from those um, as I build decks is because um, I feel like sometimes in gameplay, um, people will, you know, see a Cyclonic Rift played and overloaded and just kind of like sigh and be like, Not okay, again. this is turned into one of those <laughs> games. Yeah. Um, 
I get the most enjoyment and fun out of magic when I can play a card and my opponents have to like lean in and read it. Like what in the world is that? Yeah. <laughs> but then it like sparks conversation, sure. sparks inspiration well, in other people's maybe decks. Maybe gets them to say, oh, that'd be perfect for this deck that I have. Because then right. not like, yeah, no one's ever gone, not no one's ever gone, but like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that Cyclonic Rift. That'd be perfect for all of my decks. Right. Yeah. But it just kind of has more of that, uh, sparks that fun conversation sure. around magic, which is something that I just love. Absolutely. Discovering yeah. new cards is always fun. Yeah, That's definitely. fantastic. Good perspective. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick break so I can catch my breath after all that talking. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we'll be right back. And we're back. Okay. So now we're going to get to one of my favorite segments of the day, segments of the show, whatever it is. I can't talk. I've talked too much this episode. <laughs> Card of the day. So on this segment, I'm going to have uh, my guest, Alec, in case you forgot who he was Hello. in the past hour however long we've been talking yep. <laughs> uh he's gonna go over and discuss a card he's gonna bring up a card that we're gonna discuss and he can bring it up for any reason he can like it he can hate it he can just like the art in it he could just have randomly hit the random generator on skyfall and it popped up and that's what we're talking about so what card are we chatting about today well i didn't do that but um <laughs> one of my favorite cards is vanish into memory which a is one. a instant uh cost two white blue and it says exile target creature you then draw cards equal to that creature's power at the beginning of your next upkeep. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. If you do, discard cards equal to that creature's toughness. Mm -hmm. So kind of on our theme, like uh, cards that might be a little bit underplayed, but yeah. like have a strong synergy with certain types of decks. Absolutely. Um, I have found that I play this card sometimes over things like Swords to Plowshares, Path to Exile. Sure. Even though those are incredibly powerful and low-costed cards, I like this card for its flexibility. Sure. Um, so not only can you use it like Swords to Plowshares to remove a creature temporarily, mm -hmm. um, uh, you get cards... Uh, you can draw cards or loot cards um, based on the creature's power toughness yep. uh, when you remove it that way. Yep. Um, also, it has some interesting side effects to like reset your own enter the battlefield triggers yep. on your own creatures while still doing the same effect of drawing and or looting you cards. Yep. Um, but uh, my particular favorite strategy with this is in my Noyan Dar deck. Yeah. Uh, Noyan Dar's ability uh, basically says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, um, you get to choose one of your lands and you uh, put plus one plus one counters on it and make it a creature. Sure. So. Um, casting this spell in a Noyan Dar deck means that you get to put more plus one plus one counters on one of the creatures that you've turned or one of the lands you've turned into a creature. Yep. And then you draw cards equal to the number of plus one plus one counters uh, that the creature has. So yep. in Noyan Dar, you know, you just fill the deck entirely with instants and sorceries. Mm. So sometimes you'll end up having like a 20-20 land sitting there. Yeah. When you cast this spell, you then draw 20 cards because the land gets blinked. Yep. But then in the next upkeep, it comes back, but it's still a land, but it's not a creature anymore. Yeah. So you don't have to discard any of you those cards. You just drew cards. 20 or 21 cards or whatever it is for yeah. four mana. And most of the time, this particular card, after doing an effect like that, wins me the game just based on the pure card advantage I've oh, yeah. drawn. But the card itself, you know, isn't. I wouldn't consider it a good stuff mm -hmm. card, um, but it still, you know, did uh, did enough to get me there in, in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned before too about like a, against a token. Like if someone's got, oh, yeah. you know, the reform you know, or nine nine Leviathan token or whatever, and you target it with vanishing memory, you're drawing nine cards, you're getting rid of that token, and you're not discarding anything because that's not coming back. Right. Sure, it's not great against like opponents like Enter the Battlefield creatures. Yeah. Avenger of Zendikar, you probably don't want to target. <laughs> Here, with have this some one. more plant tokens. Yeah, <laughs> but. Still, it's got a lot of different uh, strategies, and it, when played in the right way, it 
it can just take over the game. Absolutely. That's a yeah. fantastic card. Thank you for bringing that one up. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, I think with that, um, that's pretty much our show. So now it's your turn. Uh, so are there any good stuff cards that you personally think are overrated and why? So let me let us know in the comments below. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, make sure you like, share, and subscribe again. Every little bit helps the channel. Um, follow us on Twitter at EDH Quarters. Uh, TCG Player affiliate link is bit.ly slash Commanders Quarters. Again, if you're buying any decks or individual cards, every little bit just helps to support the channel. So why not help support the channel like that way? Um, Playmats and merchandise, uh, thecommandersquarters.com. Again, the Kickstarter, I believe, should be just up. I uh, don't know how many days are going to be left in at this point when this episode comes out, but make sure you're checking that out. Again, fantastic playmat um, from our playmat art from Santiago Rosas. Thank you again so much for that. Um, and then Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash commanders quarters. Uh, patrons are the lifeblood of this channel. I could not do this without you. Thank you all again. So I think that's pretty much it for today. So thanks again for joining the show, Alec. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again and have a good one.